The Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Know the difference. Now, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News. Goodbye first quarter. Hello, encouraging inflation data, and how are the banks doing? This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. In the next hour, great example of what Annex does on behalf of our clients. But I'm going to tell you at the top, it's just a sample. Get the whole picture when you become a client. Investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning from a fee-only fiduciary. On today's show, when you help support your adult children, what is the impact on your retirement plan? Ask Annex is on the way. Roth questions, questions about gifting stocks. What about those out-of-favor sectors, and what's the difference between all those S&P 500 ETFs. Talking insurance isn't exciting, but the Annex Wealth Management Insurance Assessment is important. It's what we do for our clients. The show always begins with a look at the week in review. To do that, Jason Cooper, research analyst and part of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Team is here. Welcome. Thanks, Danny. Dave Spano is our president and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you, Danny. And of course, Jason, a lot going on. On Friday, we closed uh, up 414 points on the Dow Jones, and the S&P 500 is now over 4,100. A lot of really good numbers this past week. Yeah, broad-based rally across all of the equity market indices, including some of the smaller cap stocks, which led the week. But also, within the fixed income space, credit was strong to end the week with high yields credit spreads coming in. And that effectively means that bond prices went up. Yeah, that's right. And of course, you know, when the NASDAQ goes up as much as it has, which has been 20% for the year, which has seemed shocking, the S&P 500 over 7% for the year. And then you talk about what's happening with the Treasury market. That obviously is what's happening with the Federal Reserve, certainly signaling that what's called the terminal rate, where they're going to stop raising rates, is near there. In fact, the market is suggesting that we may be at that terminal rate now. Yeah, the terminal rate is probably going to be at around 5%, and that's effectively where we are at the moment. And as our CIO, Derek Felsky, has said, once you start to get towards that pause in rate hikes, you do tend to have a resumption in the equity market going higher. So that does tend to be a catalyst. It is funny. The other thing that Derek brought up is that we may be in the eye of the storm. Explain what he means by that. Well, when you think about a hurricane, you have that first headwind or, or, or storm disruption, and that's effectively landfall. And from the market's perspective, that was the dramatic increase in the Fed funds rate that occurred in the last year. Now that we're in the eye of the storm, it's more of a wait and see, hey, maybe the economy is going to be able to deal with what's happening. We aren't seeing earnings collapsing. There's money on the sidelines. Maybe markets can go higher and maybe the economy can chug along. And of course, that also means that the other half of the hurricane could be coming, which means that we could get a retest. And there's a lot of conversation about that right now. When we mean retest, you know, the S&P 500 was around 35 or 3,600. We're now at 4,100. When people say retest, at least market technicians, that means it's going to go and retag that again before moving forward. There is some theory to that. Yeah. And that would be consistent with what Derek had said in the past, you know, the second landfall of the hurricane. Um, and that's caused by, you know, the economy decelerating into the back half of the year as monetary policy 
acts with that long and variable lag, meaning that maybe the economy starts to weaken. Yeah, and let's talk about that. So, you know, monetary policy has a lag, and so all of these rate raises that the Federal Reserve has done, as we well know, seven of them last year, two in t- this year, so that is significant. And, of course, that has a lag in effect because now the higher interest rates finally get into the economy, slows buying down, and that is the definition of a slowing economy. Here is the concern that, of course, we may not see that until the back half of this year. And that is another reason why we're concerned about what it's going to look like on the back half of 23 or early 24. And we talk about the the back half of the hurricane. There are things that we have to be careful of. Banks would be one of them. So the Fed, the FDIC and the Treasury did a great job effectively backstopping the banking crisis. But what they didn't do is change the opportunity cost in the market and annex as fiduciaries. We've been out there pounding the pavement saying, if you have excess money earning nothing on your deposits, put that into short-term treasuries, put that into money market mutual funds where you can get a yield now approximating 5%. Well, these same regional and community banks, they can't hike up their deposit rates because they're sitting on loan and security books that are yielding maybe 2 to 3%. So if they try to compete, they are operating at a loss. And we're going to continue that conversation right after the break. Excellent. Jason Cooper, research analyst, part of the Annex Wealth Management investment team, is here. Dave, these guys have a little bit of swagger. That Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast is killing it. If you like this segment, you'll love the SWAT podcast every Monday morning, usually about 9 or 10 in the morning, on the Spotify channel. We can review always available our YouTube channel, Axiom, Sunday mornings, Spotify at the top of the hour. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Sunday, April 2nd. We're going to be right back, 92.5 Fox News. In a recent study, over one-third of millionaires predicted their ability to feel financially secure in retirement is going to take a miracle. At Annex Wealth Management, we believe a plan, not a miracle, will help increase your retirement confidence. Our team of experts gets to work using leading-edge technology to build a comprehensive plan covering investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning. And Annex doesn't have products to push with hidden fees or commissions. There's too much of that already. More planning, less miracles. Build confidence with Annex Wealth Management. AnnexWealth.com. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. What we do is investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning as a fee-only fiduciary. Want to reach out and connect with us? The Axiom is a great way to do that. Our free weekly newsletter. Check out the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel. We talked about the SWAT podcast. Again, we're in many different places And it all starts, just head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. If we can help, click that Get Started button. Jason Cooper, Research Analyst at Annex Wealth Management in the studio. Dave Spano, President and CEO. Thanks, Danny. You know what? Next week, Danny, I'm going to be in London. And, of course, you talk about what's happening over there. Jason, inflation is off the charts. You think inflation is bad here in the U.S.? U.K. has a problem. Yeah, inflation in the UK is up 10%, and they have similar problems to what we have. It was really, from from our perspective, a global shock where interest rates were just too low for too long, and too much was too much money was injected into the system. Now they're dealing with the same ramifications that we are, but they're also more exposed to the war in Ukraine. That's exactly right, and that turns the conversation to, of course, GDP. We got a report this past week that GDP report was 2.6% between 2.6 and 2.7%. That is a good number. Obviously, that's positive. We all now know 
that technically the definition of, re- of a recession is two back-to-back quarters of negative GDP. So this past fourth quarter showing positive GDP certainly pushes that recession conversation out a little bit. And there are some, shockingly, who are still calling for a soft landing. I'm not sure if I would... Uh call for a soft landing given what we might see happen in the back half of the year but certainly into the first quarter of 2023 the atlanta fed gdp now model is forecasting a 3.2 percent increase and that's been driven by stronger consumption and stronger non-residential investment and i think both of those areas might be challenged in the back half of the year namely on the consumption side we're starting to see you know war notices so effectively preliminary announcements of potential layoffs, as well as continuing unemployment claims trend higher. Both of those are a leading indicator for a softer labor force. And, and you think about that, and of course, it, unfortunately, if you get caught up in that, and when that could happen, there is a lot of companies that are laying off. If you get caught up in that, that certainly means that you need to do a deeper dive on what you did with your 401k plan, what you're going to do going forward. So financial planning is still going to be part of that conversation. I do want to spend a little bit of time on the banks because, of course, you know the SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, certainly garnered a lot of attention as well as another bank failure. And people were saying, is this a domino? Will we see more coming down the road? But there's this thing that the Fed has called the discount window. What is that? It effectively allows banks now. So they ex- they expanded eligibility of banks to pledge pristine collateral assets. So treasuries, mortgage ba- agency mortgage-backed securities in the discount window and to access funds so that they don't have to take massive markdowns on their securities book during a potential bank run. And what that effectively does is it allows them to avoid bankruptcy, live to fight another day, and then also ensure that depositors know that there is a backstop. That is really good because, of course, the Federal Reserve has a lot of jobs, most notably the dual mandate that that they have, which, of course, is fighting inflation and staying and keeping the economy at full employment. But they also are supervising the banking system. So they have these two mandates going on at the same time, as well as the issue of overlooking the banks. There's one last piece that has been getting a lot of attention, and that is commercial real estate portfolios. That has been on the scuttlebutt this past week. Yeah. And when you think about what's happened over the past couple of years, there's been a gigantic transformation about how we use commercial real estate, namely the hybrid environment that many of us enjoy from a working perspective. But that has ramifications also on how frequently people go into cities. So you're seeing office space in certain cities trend lower from a price perspective. And as a result, many of the loans that particularly regional and community banks have issued from a commercial real estate perspective are questionable. So they really need to focus now on shoring up their balance sheets. What does that mean going forward? Two dozen publicly traded regional banks were responsible for almost 40% of loan growth over the last couple of years. That's a tremendous amount of loan growth from a small subset of banks. And this, these types of loans, they fuel investment, they fuel consumption, and they allow the economy to just chug along. You take that away, and it's a real headwind for economic growth. Jason Cooper, research analyst, part of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Team. Thanks for jumping on. Appreciate it. No problem. Dave Spano, he stays. Stick around. There is more to come. Dave is president and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. 
Helping with cell phone bills, covering rent, loans, it adds up. Why supporting adult children might affect your retirement planning. That's next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. It starts with a call. With one call, you can start seeing your future more clearly. If your financial picture is cloudy because you're getting conflicting tax, investment, and estate planning advice, help is a call or a click away. Annex Wealth Management's team works to get your investment plan in line with your tax plan and your estate plan. Build confidence with one team working to create one comprehensive plan as a fee-only fiduciary. Annex Wealth Management. One team, one plan, one fee. AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Amy Bremer, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, is back. Hey, Amy. Hey, Danny. We've covered some interesting topics, my friend. Today's might be a little touchy, helping support adult children. You ready to dive in on this? Let's do it. All right. We're going to start with some stats about empty nesters. This is the moms and dads at home. 40% are helping support adult kids. The average monthly expenditure Two hundred and fifty-four dollars. I don't care who you are; that's a sizable chunk. Well, when you think about it, month over month over month, that adds up to several thousand dollars a year. So most folks think that when they're empty nesters, meaning their kids moved out, their kids are off the payroll. But there's a lot of hidden expenses that are sticky, like the family cell phone plan. Some other folks help their kids out with rent, groceries, and student loan payments. A lot of, yeah, I see you wince your face. Yeah. Student loan payments, those are really expensive. They're paused right now, but according to our source data here, that's the fourth biggest expenditure that parents help their kids out with. Well, and wait till they start back up, right? Oh my gosh. Here's where we get into the uncomfortable spot, how to stop financially supporting adult children because you need to. Yeah, and this is such a tough one. I mean, this originally comes from a place of love. I mean, you, you love your kids, you want to help them succeed, and you think throwing them a little bit of cash here and there is going to do that, but it prevents them from living their own life and, you know, adulting, you know, hashtag adulting. It's easier, though, to start little by little. Maybe ask those kids for their 30 bucks a month for their cell phone bill. Don't just cut them off cold turkey because that's going to be a huge fall for the kid to make up. It's going to be expensive and difficult to overcome. I do see parents and cell phone bills back and forth with their kids or, or different things. Now, I don't know if they're paying it, but it's happening. It's yeah. happening quite a bit. My stepson pays my husband, but we do it through our bank account. We all bank at the same bank, but we keep them on the plan because it's cheaper. We also have my father-in-law on our cell phone plan because it's cheaper. Now, collecting money from my father-in-law is a little bit, you know, here or there. He's not as reliable as my stepson. You got a little Jenga game. Yeah, right? There, right. Sandwich generation for sure. <laughs> now, before you think Amy is just some sort of big old meanie, here's the meat and potatoes reason. By supporting adult children, folks, you are affecting your own retirement. How's that work? Yes. And it's the old adage of the flight attendants on the airplane, put your own mask on first before you help this person in the seat next to you. So a lot of this comes down to checking yourself first. How is your retirement fund going? Is it fully funded? Do you have your own credit card debt or your own car payments? Things like that. A lot of times families who help their children put their own financial health at risk. I see it quite often here at Annex when we help families on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Now, that's if the kids are in tough financial straits and you're able to do that. And if you're able to do that, that's fine. Mm -hmm probably a different conversation. You're not helping your kids by stepping in and doing it. 
it may be in the short term, like you said, if they're in a tough spot, but in the long term, those kids become dependent on that income from mom and dad, and it's not sustainable over time. Another example is when you have kids who are professionals and clearly have enough money to do it on their own, but it's really easy to show up at mom and dad's house, get the Costco card, and go put gasoline on your own at mom and dad's dime. Right. How about loans to adult children? Is it okay? Maybe if there's enforceable terms in place, you've got something written out? This is tricky, Danny. I'm really glad you brought it up. So loans, if it's just a verbal agreement, a little tricky. You want to write something down and have them sign a promissory note. Even if it's a Word document that says, I promise to pay back mom and dad 250 bucks a month, love, child. The challenge is if you charge interest or not. And this is where it gets a little tricky with the IRS. If you don't charge interest on your tax return, there's something that's called imputed interest, which again gets really tricky. And so we would want to talk with families on a one-on-one basis to guide them through that process. But most people don't report these loans on their tax return anyway. Now you're just kind of running the dice if you're going to get an audit or not. Adult children sometimes move in with parents, hopefully temporarily. Should there be a rent agreement in place? That is an, you have some good questions today, Danny. Well done. So it reminds me of an article I read several years ago on the internet of this 40-year-old guy living with his folks, and the guy would not move out. I remember. Yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. that nuts? Yeah. They had to take their kid to court to legally evict him. So rental agreement, you know, take it on a case-by-case basis, but I mean, Garnet, that was the extreme. Well, it's going to be more than the $254, too. I, I think I read when somebody lives at your place, it's three, four. 400 bucks a month just because they're consuming stuff and using the washer dryer and energy and heat. Yes. Yeah, there's definitely an, an, a cost related to that. And if you can recoup some, it's a good agreement if your kids live at home because you can charge them less in rent that they'd pay at market. Yeah. And then you can get a little bit extra cash on the side. So if you can come to a mutually beneficial arrangement, I don't see how that's a problem. But just don't have to evict your kid. <laughs> Is this a place we step into with our clients? A little bit. It's a little bit challenging to navigate those situations with families. It's hard, but Amy has outlined the case to at least consider taking some necessary steps. We are ready to help with financial, retirement, tax, and estate planning. For stop, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Amy Bremer, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Good stuff. Thanks for joining us. Always my pleasure, Danny. When people start talking about 401ks, your eyes ever glaze over? It's probably because of jargon. We'll talk about that next with Tom Parks, who runs our Retirement Plan Services Division. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Inflation isn't going away anytime soon. As the cost of everything from food to vacations to your electric bill rises, you may wonder if your retirement plans are still on track. Annex Wealth Management can help. It starts at AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. From there, our in-house planning team will create your wealth metric, a snapshot of where you are and where you're headed. Wealth metric will help you understand the impact inflation may have on your plans. Get started today. Visit AnnexWealth.com. Need to reach Annex Wealth Management but want to skip the computer? No problem. Call us, 239-350-6363. 239-350-6363. Let's talk soon. Know the difference? When you hear the word jargon, that means special words or expressions that are used by a particular profession or group that are difficult for others to understand. Right, Tom? That is correct. Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services at Annex, is here. Jargon in finance can really be intimidating. We try to take 
complex things and we make it simple. But let's talk about 401k jargon. Okay? Yeah, there is no shortage of jargon. Throw them at me. Let's see what we got. Yeah, and this comes from a recent study about the language of defined contribution plans from Invesco and found there's a disconnect between the language that sponsors use and the language that everyday investors understand. And I've got to throw the flag. You already early. used like two of the buzzwords well, well, you know in that description. Amen, brother. I've got to throw the flag. Defined contribution plans. What is that? Think 401k plan. Why they're, don't they just say 401k plan? Well, because there are different types of defined contribution plans. So are profit sharing plans. So think of it like this. The two are defined benefit and defined contribution. Those words are actually super helpful because the way a 401k plan works is it is defined by the money that you put into it, right? And so the money that you contribute to the plan, that's what all the rules surround. Whereas in a pension plan, a defined benefit, a lot of times you're not putting any money in yourself. Even if you are, though, what is defined is here's how much you're going to get out of it at some point in time. So defined contribution, think these are the rules about putting money into the plan, you know, annual uh, limits and all that stuff. Defined benefit, think pension, here's how much you're going to get out of it. Because you don't know how much you're going to get out of your 401k plan, okay. but you do know how much you're putting into it. You've held a little. Okay, let's go through some others. Maybe that's going to be the hardest. What is vesting? Vesting. Okay. I always tell people when you think of vesting, think of it like this. Vesting is the money that you get to take with you when you leave your employer. So people will ask me a lot about this when we're talking 401k plans, and I tell them, you don't need to worry about it. As long as you're still working, vesting really, quite frankly, is irrelevant because it only matters when you leave. So it's the portion of your employer contribution. Sometimes there is a vesting schedule, meaning for each year that you work for the employer, you accrue a little bit more and a little bit more uh, ownership in that money, and then at a certain point, you're 100% vested or you have 100% ownership in it, regardless of when you leave. Okay. Some other jargon you might hear in 401ks, fiduciary or plan fiduciary. We use the word fiduciary all the time here at yeah. Annex. Right. So, a fiduciary is somebody who has a legal financial duty to somebody else. So, we at Annex have a legal financial duty to all of our clients. The thing that's different in a 401k plan is the employer is also a fiduciary they have that legal financial responsibility to act in the best interest of their employees. So if I own ABC Trucking, and I probably should have checked to see if there's actually an ABC Trucking, if I own ABC Trucking and I have a 401k plan for my employees, I am a fiduciary. Yes. Here's another in the 401k jargon terms, target date. So now this one I feel like is pretty straightforward. The idea with a target date fund is it's um, an investment, a mutual fund that is kind of a fund of funds. And the whole idea of it is you target a certain date in the future for your retirement. And then the manner in which that account is invested takes that into consideration. So generally speaking, let's say you've got a 2050 Vanguard target date fund or a T. Rowe Price target date fund or whatever. That means that you're targeting 2050 as the date for your retirement. So that's like 30 years from now, right? So it's going to that particular fund is going to be invested pretty aggressively right now, but then over time as you get closer to retirement, it will gradually change to become more conservative. And that's where it leads into the other another uh, question you're going to ask me about is glide path. And so the idea, if you think of a glide path, think of it as an airplane, because that's where they came up with the analogy. So as a plane is approaching the runway, just as you're approaching retirement, think of it like that, the altitude changes, the speed changes. Think of that, the risk changes in your portfolio. 
it's gradually getting lower. So we think high risk, high altitude, low risk, low altitude. So that's where they came up with the idea of a glide path in a target date retirement fund. So we get to knock out two of them with that explanation. Did that, did that help? It did. Target dates sound really smart. They're a great option for a lot of people. 401k jargon. How about safe harbor? What is that? And this happened to us last week, as a matter of fact. So our HR director sent out an email and said, hey, everyone, your safe harbor contribution is going to be deposited. You know, go check it out. And I, you may recall, replied to everyone and said, for those of you who don't know what that means, think profit sharing contribution. What does qualified plan mean? There you go. So that's another other one that's pretty good, straightforward. Basically, a qualified plan is one that is eligible for special tax treatment and tax benefits. Those benefits can be tax benefits that you receive now, like in the case of a traditional pre-tax, or it could be one a benefit that you receive later in the case of Roth. But really qualified just means the IRS has put its stamp of approval, and now you're going to get some special tax benefits out of it. We're running through some 401k jargon terms. Those are good. Thank you. Tom, in what you do with Annex, how do we simplify things for companies? Especially for those planned fiduciaries, is we help them understand what those responsibilities are. You don't necessarily have to understand all these precise details, I'm still going to tell you about them because I want you to be aware of them. And then I want you to be comfortable knowing that we know what we're talking about and we're taking good care of it for you. The burden is always on those fiduciaries, but we really try to help people better understand and become more comfortable that they know things are being taken care of the way they're supposed to. Well, and when it comes to recruiting, you got to have good benefits. You should have a good 401k. 41% of people in this survey said they would take a 10% pay cut for a company that pays attention to wellness. If you are an employer and you don't think that your benefits are something that people are looking at when they're deciding where they're going to go to work, you're missing the boat. Absolutely. These benefits are important. And explaining them to your employees, that's the other thing that we spend a lot of time doing, is helping employees. We try to avoid some of the participant is a word. That's another term. People are like, what is that? It's somebody who participates in a 401k plan. Employees just a better way of saying that. So that's a big part of our education is both for the employer and the employee. It's just different depending on the subject matter. Tom Parks, Director of Retirement plan services at Annex. Thanks. Thank you. Someone asks how you are. Most of the time, it's good. So how's your money, your investments, your retirement plans? Given everything going on, good might not be the answer. It's time for Annex Wealth Management. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. Annex will build a plan that addresses your financial, retirement, tax, and estate planning. Annex Wealth Management can change the conversation. We don't want you to answer good. We want you to feel the confidence of saying great. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. AnnexWealth.com. Back on Ask Annex, as always, got a question for us, head to the website, look for the Ask tab. If we can help, click that Get Started button. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management in the studio. Hello. Hello. And we got Matt Moore, the Investment Team Manager and a CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Hello, sir. All right. First one is from Bob. Can I contribute to my own Roth IRA and to my work 401k Roth plan? Yes, Bob, you can contribute to both. It is possible to do both Roth IRA and your Roth 401k at work. Just load both those bad boys up? You bet. Question two is from Ted. There must be at least 200 S&P 500 ETFs. What's the difference? Uh, Most likely nothing. 
They're going to be very, very similar. A couple things to watch out for is first is how are they constructed? So most of them are going to be what's called market cap weighted, which is the largest companies are going to have the biggest impact within the fund, just how the S&P 500 is created. The next biggest group would be equal weighted, which is all 500 SO companies. I think there's technically 505-ish right now are all have the same weight. So the biggest company, Apple, is going to have the same weight as the smallest company within the S&P 500. So that's an equal weighted index. So that's the most important thing to look at. Next would be expense rate. So how expensive is each one? Most of them, as fees have come down in the industry, have become very, very low, maybe 0 0.02, 0 0.03%, something like that. But some of them are more. Expenses are clearly going to pull down your return. If you're investing the exact same thing, but you're paid more for one versus another one, there's going to be a, obviously a difference of return there. Next would be liquidity. So how often do they trade? How, well, how many shares a day trade? Is it going to be easy to get in and out? Is going to be really important? And then kind of all that sums up into what's called tracking error, which is basically how well does it match its benchmark return. Now, if you have a higher fee, that's going to increase that tracking error. If it's low liquidity, it's going to increase that tracking error. So those are things you're going to want to watch out for, but you're going to essentially want the one with the lowest tracking error when you're trying to compare two S&P 500 funds. Next one is from Rose. Sarah, it's a four-parter. So let me all read right. it all the way through. How much can I gift stocks to my son? Can I still do it for 2022? My trading account is in my name only. Can I still gift from there for my husband as well? Are there any restrictions on my son receiving the stock? Hold or sell time frame. Let's, so let's go one at a time. All right. How much can I gift stocks to my son? So the annual gift tax exemption is 17000 a year per person, per recipient. So if you're married, you can do 34000 But everybody has a lifetime gift tax exemption. So as of 2023, that is about $12.92 that you can use to make gifts above the annual exclusion without having to pay that gift tax. But there are some forms you need to fill out if you would do that, and that would be called the Form 709. How much? Yeah, almost $13 million. Is that all? That's a lot of stock. <laughs> yeah. Okay, second part. Uh, can I still do it for 2022? No, you cannot. That's based on the calendar year. It's not like a contribution to your retirement account where you have up to the tax date the next year to contribute to the prior year's account. So gifting is based on the calendar year. Question three, my trading account is in my name only. Can I still gift from there for my husband as well? Yes, you can do a gift split, but you would still have to fill out that Form 709. And the final part, are there any restrictions on my son receiving the stock, hold or sell time frame? No restrictions. Happy birthday, son. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, next question is anonymous. How often do out of favor sectors turn around? Are there sectors that are currently out of favor that have long-term opportunities and are there key indicators? Yeah, that's a great question. So first and foremost, I would say, please listen to our SWAT podcast on, on Monday mornings that, that comes out. Our investment team really drills into a lot of this type of information as, as we go through that strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threat framework. A lot of it does relate around different sectors or the market as a whole and kind of where we see opportunity, uh, both short and long term. So I think that's a great resource for you if you've you got those types of questions. From our point of view, this happens all the time. Sectors are always changing kind of what their leadership is. Is within the market. Really, since the financial crisis, you know, technology has been that one that has really 
driven a lot of the market return over that time period. Um, but there's some that have certainly trailed. Uh, but they do ebb and flow based on what's happening, you know, currently within the market. From our standpoint, we look to see what sectors we like to favor, or sometimes we break that down to what's the factor we're looking for, or ultimately what's the theme we're trying to address. Sometimes that does relate to different sectors, but it might also be subsets as well too. So things that we like right now, it's energy. And that was a sector that was out of favor for a really long time. But due to the utter development and underinvestment in energy companies and drilling and producing that oil out of, out of the ground, you know, we got to spots, as you saw with gas prices over the last year or so that had really skyrocketed. That's a lot of free cash flow that's coming to those companies now that we think is really, really attractive, even with the pullback in oil lately. But there's certainly, you could see sector rotation from time to time. And, and we do like to see that. But sometimes it's, you know, actually good to see just a couple stocks within a sector that might be defying that trend. And Matt, how often would you say those sectors repeat themselves at that top spot year over year? It's not very common. You know, there is a lot of rotation. Energy, I think, did lead like two years in a row, but it had been like last for quite a while. You know, at one point, the S&P, when you're looking at the weighting of each sector, energy was like two or 3% of the entire market. 30 years ago, that was like 30%. So it had pulled back so far that there was a lot of room for that to really kind of skyrocket and still not really change its, its dynamic within the market as a whole. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management, thank you. You're welcome, Danny. Matt Morsey, Investment Team Manager, thank you. Thank you. Six signs you might be ready to retire. We'll chat about that next with Robert Chastain, Branch Director and Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management, Southwest Florida. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Cut through the clutter with Axiom, the weekly newsletter from Annex Wealth Management. Subscribe today for seven insights built and delivered to you every Sunday. It'll help you navigate the markets and the things that affect your money. The Axiom. Sign up at AnnexWealth.com. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News, with Robert Chastain, Branch Director, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management, Southwest Florida. Hey, Robert. Hello, Danny. Well, we are here to help our clients prepare for the retirement they desire. And depending where they are on that journey, conversation might start 10 years out. For some, it might be 10 months out. Maybe some have had it and they want it done in 10 minutes. Not sure about that. But when is the right time? We're going to talk about it. We've got a checklist of six signs that it is time to retire. Robert, I'm interested in your thoughts. And we're going to wrap this all around the fact that you do need a plan. And the first one is, is you're financially prepared. We'll help you with that. Well, if you are financially prepared, <laughs> obviously is way better than being unprepared. But, you know, if you are prepared, you've looked into your expenses, your budget. Is your plan successful? Have you struggled? Stress tested it. All of those things go into that, Danny. Uh, the second one is you've eliminated debt. And again, that's part of the financial plan. And we've talked many times on this show, not all debt is created equal. Some is decent debt. Some is not so decent. I have always said, if you can eliminate all of your debt before retirement, that is probably the best case scenario. But there is some debt. If you had to put a new roof on after the storm and you took a home equity loan, understand that. But did we test that against your plan? Is it crimping you in other areas of your retirement? And you know, when you are paying interest expenses, it's the biggest drain on your free cash flow. Yeah. And speaking of that new roof because of the hurricane, that's the number three sign you're ready to retire. You've got a plan to cope with emergencies. That stuff hits, but you can roll with it. Well, if you plan for it and if you've socked some emergency funds away, then if a emergency comes up, that's when you use it. But you've planned for it, right? You know, it, it's not just a a storm. It could be a, something with your health. As long as you have some money socked away for any emergency that comes up, it's much, much better. 
Sure. Signs that you are ready to retire. You've got health insurance, and it can go both ways. If you're retiring before Medicare, you need to plan for that, and we can help with that. If it's after Medicare, we can help maximize that. We can. And ideally, you know, you get Medicare and off you go. But if you do have to pick up uh, the Obama insurance, we can help you with that. And we can put those numbers out there. We know what they are and we can help you plan for that. The next two, in fact, our last two, really kind of get into the place where we think Annex Wealth Management is a little bit different. And this is where we're talking about life in retirement, life after you're done working. And it's important stuff. And the first is you got to so network. And I don't know if, Robert, you're going to sit across the desk and, you know, quiz anybody whether or not they've got that, but it's important and it's worth the conversation. As I have said before, I tried retirement once and I didn't have a social network. And that's really how I picked up uh, refing football, Mm. basketball, and soccer here. You know, it just gave me another outlet to meet people, have some grown-up conversations other than with my dog, (laughs) and, you know, gave me a hobby. It's fun. And, you know, I get to give back to the community and participate with the kids. If you don't have something like that, let's find something. All right, I'm going to create a tangent here because I've got to ask, which is your favorite sport to be an official? Oh, Danny, you're going to really put me on the spot. So, I played all three. The hardest sport to uh, officiate is football. So I would probably pick that one. Okay. Six signs that you might be ready to retire. Our final one is you have something else to do. It's sort of like the last one where you get the social network, but maybe all that social network isn't going to be around all the time. You need something that gets you up in the morning, gets you motivated, gets you out the door. You sure do. And the way that I look at it, Danny, is different from the previous point. Structure your days. You know, when you were working, you had structure to your days. You had a time to be in, time for lunch, time to end end your work day. Try and think about this from a psychological and emotional standpoint. You're responsible for your structure now, not your job, not your company. Structure it. I even built a calendar. I mean, go as far as that, set it up on a calendar, things that you're going to do, things that you have to get done. And you know, how many goals have you accomplished that you never set? So continue to set goals and check them off. Great wisdom from Robert Chastain. Folks, if we can help get you any closer to these steps, do this. Head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Robert Chastain, Branch Director, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management, Southwest Florida. Thanks for jumping on today. Thank you so much, Danny. And anybody can reach me directly at 239-350-6363. What is the Annex Wealth Management Insurance Assessment? Why is it important and how does it help our clients? We'll talk about that next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. If the only tool you have is a hammer, everything you fix looks like a nail. Same thing goes for some annuity salesman. Need help with tax planning? Maybe you need an annuity. Recession coming? Have you tried an annuity? Retirement planning? You get the picture. Sometimes you need more than a one-tool solution. It's time for serious fee-only fiduciary planning from Annex Wealth Management. Our in-house team of experts will offer you a rigorously tested plan built just for you. Annex Wealth Management. Know the difference. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management where our client's entire financial picture is important. And that means investments, tax planning, estate planning, etc., etc. And that etc. includes insurance. 
Joining me is Eric Strom, CFP and Senior Financial Planner at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me, Danny. So, as a fee-only fiduciary, we don't sell insurance products, but we see them all the time, either as a portfolio review tucked within or our current clients have insurance. Any idea how many or what types of insurance policies that we review? Yes, Danny. So, we have quite an active insurance review team here at Annex, actually. So, it's to the point where it's beyond just what one person can handle. We are reviewing hundreds and hundreds of contracts every single year. And these are long-term care insurance contracts, annuities, life insurance, or sometimes hybrid policies that combine those together. And so we are seeing a lot coming across our desks. Have there been cases where you've said, where somebody has said, wow, I've never seen one of these before? Yeah, Danny. So there are hundreds and hundreds of companies that offer these types of products. So we see everything under the sun that you can imagine. Got to ask this, can we help Annex clients figure out how much life insurance they need? And of course, you know, if you ever watch TV, you see all sorts of advertisements for that. But I think the question is really, how much do I need? I mean, it depends on how old you are, what your life situation is. You hit it right on the head there. It completely depends on your situation. So at Annex, we approach everything within the context of a full comprehensive financial plan, meaning we take all of your assets and your income sources, your expenses, your debts, and put it all into a plan in software. And then once we've done that, we can run different scenarios. So what happens if something tragic happens? You know, there's a disability or a death or a divorce. What does that look like within the financial plan? And then when it comes to life insurance, we can run scenarios and say, well, yeah, if, if the spouse passed away, how much life insurance is needed to make the financial plan still successful. So we really try to approach this. We don't just pull numbers out of the air. We try to really give our clients a detailed consideration of how much life insurance they need to protect themselves. Is there a ballpark of when you don't need life insurance anymore? Yeah. So typically, the closer you get to retirement, when you get to your 50s, your 60s and beyond, some folks fade out of needing life insurance and sometimes need long-term care insurance more. So uh, we're oftentimes actually taking life insurance policies that were very appropriate in people's 30s and 40s and 50s, and sometimes suggesting that they maybe reorient towards more like a long-term care insurance type of strategy as they get older. We're with Eric Strom, Senior Financial Planner and a CFP at Annex Wealth Management reviewing how our planning team helps with insurance reviews. And you just mentioned long-term care insurance, and that can be a mystery for many. So we help with that. Yeah. And again, we don't sell any insurance at Annex, but within our that financial plan that I referenced before, we can start running scenarios. What if something happened and you needed long-term care, You know, help with those activities of daily living for say three years in your 80s? What would that look like? How much is that going to cost you? And first of all, could you afford it? And even if you can afford it, would you rather insure that risk away rather than using your own dollars to pay for it. So what we do is we create these scenarios within our clients' financial plans and show them what would happen with a typical long-term care health event. And then in some cases, we'll bring in a trusted insurance partner to look at products to address that risk if we identify one. Are there cases where somebody inherits insurance? Maybe that would be like an annuity? This happens so frequently. So very often, people who don't even know what an annuity is. Maybe their aging parents own them and maybe the parents pass away and suddenly people are inheriting annuities and they're thinking, what even is this? <laughs> and so um, I have countless times really sat across from clients and helped them understand what it is they're inheriting. And by the way, Danny, when you inherit an annuity, you also inherit a tax bill. So how do you handle that tax bill? You want to handle it responsibly and there's a lot of options for that.
you kind of touched on it, but as fee-only fiduciaries, we don't sell insurance products at Annex Wealth Management, but we care for our clients. And when they've got questions, we can guide them. We have resources. Yes. Again, we do not sell the insurance. We help our clients identify when there is a true financial planning need for insurance. And then we bring in who we believe is an appropriate partner for that person. And we have a whole network of partners that we've worked with for a long time that we trust and get that insurance placed when it's needed. Eric Strom is Senior Financial Planner and a CFP at Annex Wealth Management, another resource for our clients. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Danny. The Week in Review, Know the Difference Minutes, team segments, planning topics, including investments, retirement, tax, and estate. It's all on the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Head to YouTube and search Annex Wealth Management. Know the difference at Annex Wealth Management. Jill Martin is the estate planning attorney here, and she works with clients on a wide array of matters, including what we're going to talk about today. Welcome back. Thanks, Danny. Leaving money to minors. Now, I'm thinking trust fund babies. I think that's the first phrase that comes to mind, and I've known some, and they've been A, insufferable, and B, it hasn't gone well. Well, it depends on A, the dollar amount, but trust funds are generally actually a pretty good idea. And I think today we'll talk about what are some of the alternatives and maybe you might get turned around that the trust fund might be the better of the four. Okay. The typical arrangement, right? Spouses would leave money to the other spouse in the event that one of them died, right? That's a the beneficiary, the primary. That's a pretty typical estate plan where, okay. you know, married couple leaves everything to each other. And then when the second of them passes, it passes on to the kids. But it doesn't always work that way, right? If something tragic happened, but then there's plenty of single parents too. Correct. And so it's important to think about if something happened to you and you were the sole parent that was alive, whether it's because a spouse predeceased or passed away at a very young age, or there's a divorce and, and they're just not yeah. in the picture anymore, those types of things, it's important for people to think about. So I was reading up about this and I came across the phrase property management, and that seemed really clinical, like it was a series of buildings or something. <laughs> what do you think about that? When you leave something to someone who's under 18, somebody needs to manage it, whether it's they get left a house, somebody needs to take care care of that house for those children, somebody needs to manage finances or a bank account for those kids. That's what I guess property management would be. So to properly pass money to kids, is this set up via a will or is this a trust? It can be both or it can be none of the above. What happens is we work with a lot of clients who they use beneficiary designation. Maybe they say, I leave my IRA to my spouse and in the event that my spouse passes away before I do, I leave it to my kids. That's a very typical kind of estate plan and beneficiary designation form. The issue there becomes if all of a sudden both spouses have passed away and those kids are minors, they're going to inherit that IRA as minors. And so then all of a sudden they've got IRAs that they need to deal with and, and we have to figure out what to do with them. I saw the phrase court-appointed guardians. If you have minor children and you normally in a will would list who would be the guardian of those children in the event that you passed away and they're still minors. What that looks like is, is there's two types of guardianship. There's guardian of the person who are they going to live with? Who's going to take them to school and coordinate, you know, the vacations and all of those types of things. But then there's also a guardian of the estate, and that's the person who manages the property. So normally in a will, you appoint someone to be that person. It, they can be the same. They don't have to be different, but you're picking who that's going to be. 
in the absence of a will, likely what's going to happen, an interested family member is going to come forward and ask to be appointed by the court. It is going to be someone that is known to the family that the court is going to basically pass judgment on and say that this is the appropriate person. Talking to Jill Martin about passing money to kids many different ways, many different situations. Let's talk about something called the UTMA, the U-T-M-A. What does that stand for? So U-T-M-A is a lovely acronym in our legal world. The Uniform Transfers to Minors Act. That allows you to transfer property in a little bit more efficient way than having this full guardianship of the estate that comes into play. Because the guardianship of the estate has annual court filings, and the guardian is going to have to go to court and get permission to make distributions for the benefit of that minor. And guardianships terminate when that child turns 18. UTMAs are a statutory creation that basically allows someone to create an account where they name someone as a custodian to take care of that money for the minor. The difference with the UTMA account is it extends it out to 21, but it also doesn't have the court supervision over it. So that custodian who's who's taking care of those funds can use those funds for the minor without having to get court approval to do everything. So UTMA, to me, sounds cleaner, better? Uh, depends on your facts and circumstances is my answer in my legal world, okay. right? The difference is, is the guardianship is very, very supervised so that the court is going to ensure those funds are used for the benefit of that minor. The UTMA account doesn't have the court involvement. So if you pick a custodian who's not real great with money, they could start potentially siphoning that money off for themselves rather than for the minor. So there's some pros and cons with both of them that depends on who it is that you trust to be that person. But generally, the UTMA is going to be less invasive from a, an administrative standpoint. So no matter what, when the, when the person, the kid, turns 21, they get it all? That is going to be their account going forward. Okay. And so what happens is... is you know, like at Annex, we have UTMA accounts for clients where maybe a grandparent set it up for a child. And so what happens is, is legally that child becomes the owner of that account when they're 21. And therefore, they have full control over that account. Could that be a disaster? 18, 21, right. 40? I don't know. <laughs> yes. I mean, right. <laughs> depending on what's going on with your facts and circumstances, any age could be detrimental. But a lot of people tend to think that 18 and 21 might be a little young for people to inherit money. My research has shown, yes, that is the case. So can you do it where somebody would inherit the money at 30 or, or later? Or? Yeah. So that's where you can use trusts instead of leaving money just to the minor outright, which creates the guardianship or into an UTMA account. People will use trusts as part of their estate plan. So you can do this under the will or under a revocable trust that you use. But basically, instead of leaving it to my son, Bob, I'm leaving it in trust for my son, Bob. And what that does is that creates a trustee who's going to be responsible for that property management, making distributions. But you get to customize the terms and conditions that Bob gets to make distributions for and the age at which that trust would terminate, if at all. It sounds complicated, and it sounds like something definitely people need professional help on. Jill, that's what you do for our clients. Absolutely. Jill Martin, an estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. You're welcome. The Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee is locked and laser-focused on every aspect of the markets. Go deep with the SWAT podcast. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Delivered every Monday morning on Spotify. Search Annex Wealth Management for the SWAT podcast podcast.
Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, something a little different to close out the show today. Major League Baseball returned on Thursday and a number of new changes, and we thought we'd spend a little time talking about that today. And I'm being joined by Greg Matzek. He's a sports director, reporter, and talk show host at Good Karma Brands. Good Karma, if you don't know, has a footprint stretching from Milwaukee to L.A., New York, and Florida. Greg, welcome to Money Talk. Yeah, I appreciate it. Good to have the baseball season here, too. And it really is nice, I tell it's spring season. We can talk about baseball, and it's something to get people's minds off of all of the issues that we're talking about in the financial world. But a number of new rules are out there, and of course, it is going to change the speed of the game. Most importantly, there is a pitch clock. So explain to everybody the 15 and the 20. Yeah, so this is really interesting, and, and I wasn't sure how much I'd appreciate the pitch clock until I actually saw it. And instantly, after a pitch in Major League Baseball, you'd go to your phone, right? we got time here. If you do that, you're going to miss a pitch. Yeah. Like, things are happening quicker, which baseball ultimately wants. So if there's a runner on base, pitcher has 20 seconds from the time he receives the ball from the catcher right. to throw a pitch. And if there's nobody on base, he has 15 seconds. That clock starts. There's somebody in the press box controlling the start, stop, and reset. Greg, let me ask you, there was somebody who got called a third strike because the batter wasn't ready. Yeah, so the batter needs to be attentive and ready to receive a pitch at the eight-second mark. Right. And if they're not ready to rock, if they're not paying attention, they're going to get a strike called on them. And and this this guy had two strikes on him, so he was called out. He was called out. And at Wrigley Field, when the Brewers played the Cubs on opening day, Marcus Stroman of the Cubs was the first pitcher in regular season Major League Baseball to be called for a pitch clock violation. Yep. And a ball was awarded to Christian Yellow, who ultimately walked <laughs> in that right. at-bat. So it is going to speed up the games. There's no question if you're on the East Coast, of course, you're going to be home at you know, 9 o'clock to watch uh, another <laughs> episode of Seinfeld. But it's going to quicken the games. Uh, you were in Chicago at Wrigley Field, and it was 2.20 or something was the entire game time. Yeah, and I was looking at overall averages, right? I mean, the Brewers had four hits on opening day. That's going to be a, a pretty quick game regardless. Right. Uh, but there was a game that was... 10-9, that was under three hours. That's so I, I think for me, Dave, baseball, yes, they're trying to speed things up, but I put it under a larger umbrella of increasing the quality of entertainment. Right. That if it is a three-hour game, and you're still going to have plenty of those, you're also getting a lot of action with that. Right. Baseball is scared to death of having three minutes pass between the ball being put in play. Right. Like they want action. They right. want things happening. And it's going to be good. It's going to be good for the viewer. I don't know if it's going to be good as much for the people who go to the game. You know, there's certainly people who come in late and leave early and go and get a cocktail or a drink and a hot dog, and that game is going to go by quick. So it's certainly going to uh, increase the speed of the game, and we'll see how that goes along. bunch of other new rules that we do want to talk about. There is a shift in baseball where you can put a number of infielders on one side for a guy who is a power hitter, and that rule has changed. Yeah, so it, players are going to be in their more traditional positions instead of you know, seeing somebody in short right field and wondering if that's the second baseman or the shortstop, I mean, who's out there? Right. Uh, now you've got to be more dialed into your traditional positions. And, and this, again, will allow certain hitters who tend to pull the ball almost exclusively, I, I think their batting average is likely to go up a little bit. Right. Um, you but know, let, me, let me ask you a question. The, it's just the infielders who can't shift. That doesn't mean, for example, if you're a dead pull hitter, that you, the outfielder, can come in, right, and stay on the grass. That's true. 
So I think you're going to see a breaking of that rule. So just shift the center fielder over to you know left or right, wherever it is appropriate, and the left or right fielder to center and bring that guy up. I think you're going to see that rule get broken. We'll have to see if they make modifications. You certainly could, right? And baseball's going to monitor all that kind of stuff. But again, they, they want the ball in play. They, they don't want home run or strikeout to right. be the only result. And that was starting to take over in baseball a couple and, of years ago. And so now four and a half inches. Explain what that means. Okay. Well, there's a lot of ways you can go with that, but we'll talk about the, uh, the base paths specifically. So the bases now look like they're the size of a large pizza box. <laughs> Like, it really is noticeably bigger if you go down to the field level. And the, the ultimate distance between first and second and second and third is slightly less than it was with traditional base sizes, still about 90 feet. But the reason you're going to see more stolen bases is pitchers are now governed on how many pickoff attempts they can make to first base or second base. So after the second pickoff attempt, if you make a third, you have to get the runner out. You have to pick him off. And what if you don't? It's a balk. So they, they're so awarded they the next base. Right. So what I think you're going to see is it's almost like a do-or-die scenario. The pitcher can still make that pickoff attempt, right. and you might get a base runner starting to lean a little bit, thinking, hey, they've already come over here twice. They're not going to do it again. And they might get picked off, or they'll be awarded second base. But I think either way, you're going to see more runners in motion. Right. Maybe not to the level of 100 stolen bases like you saw in the late 80s. Right. But you're going to see guys with 50, 60 stolen bases, and no there was doubt. A, there was a number of them that happened uh, this week, uh, more stolen bases uh, already this week than what we've seen. So they're certainly going to make a difference in, in how in the speed of the game. So we're excited about it. We're excited to talk baseball for just a bit, and I appreciate you coming on today. Greg Matzik, sports director, reporter, and talk show host for Good Karma Brands. Thanks for joining us, Greg. Yeah, my pleasure. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Good to get caught up, both with baseball, with the markets, your investment, your retirement planning, your tax planning, your estate planning. If we look back on the last hour, we really had representation from all of those four categories. Started out with our week in review. We got into you know retirement planning, stuff like supporting adult children. Ask Annex is always in-depth and lots of different questions. And then toward the end, the Annex Wealth Management Insurance Assessment. How can we help you? Find out. Until you join us, you really won't know. For elite wealth management from a fee-only fiduciary, click that get started button annexwealth.com see you next sunday at noon hope you can join us then if not we'll be on spotify it's money talk the annex wealth management show 92.5 fox news the annex wealth management show is hosted by annex wealth management a fee-only registered investment advisor important information about the qualifications and business practices of annex is available at annexwealth.com different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation